0: Today's sermon text is Psalm 27. It can be found in the Bible in the rack in front of you on page 460. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me,
1: Would you pray with me this morning? Holy Spirit, help us now to clearly understand your word together. Behind familiar passages, would you show us the riches of your glory, the rich food that you desire for your people to feast upon? Would you raise our thoughts and our affections to those reached by your prophets? And apostles, and open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things in your word. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. My mom likes to tell the story about when she first realized that I was afraid of heights. I was about four years old. And we were at a beach condo, had a balcony on the back. And when my sister, who is two years younger than I, we we both walked out onto the balcony and had very different reactions. So my sister, who is a little less than two, like learning to walk, walks right up to the balcony and grabs the railing and puts her head on the railing so that she can look down as far as possible. And I don't if maybe if you're afraid of heights, maybe you can identify with this. But there's something that that does to me that just is totally irrational. And then my response is also irrational. And I think that if I can get like every square inch of my body up against a wall, that maybe if something catastrophic happened, that would I'd turn Spider-Man ish, I guess, and just stick there. So I, I plaster myself against the back of the condo wall and start saying, Mama, get her, get her. So it was great irony in college when I served at a summer Christian camp, and part of my job, I was told when I got there, would to be was to be a tree lizard. I was to go 40 feet up in the air and spend the next two to three hours making sure that as campers climbed up one set of high ropes and transferred over to another, that they were clipped in safely. And I don't know why they trusted a 20-year-old to think that that would be a good idea. But but in my pride, I guess something I just didn't want to tell people that I was terrified of that. So, I shakingly climbed the tree and learned to trust the equipment. You fall a time or two and it catches you, and you realize you know this is this is not as bad as I had made it out in my head. And so that that first time you're on a high ropes course and you have to go down a zip line and you you have done this or you've seen someone that sits and just like. Every minute or so moves about a half an inch. That's like my first time up there. And then by the end of the summer you learn I can, I can trust this and me and friends would jump and enjoy the feeling of falling before you're caught by a harness and a rope. But fear has this funny thing. For, for several years I would tell people, yeah, I used to be afraid of heights. Fear just kind of has this way of crawling back, even against all rationality. So even just a few weeks ago, we were at a water park as a family, and Rose and I had done this particular slide several times, but we get up to the very top, and Rose does the exact same thing my sister does. Wow, it's a long way down there. And instead of brave dad Ryan, I turned into four-year-old Ryan and plastered myself against the wall and said, Get back, please. That's just a a bit of maybe a silly example, but thinking through something even just like the fear of heights, which may be a small thing to you at least, I think it begins to show some of the way that fear works out in our own lives. Fear is pernicious. It, It comes back. And when you think like I've got it defeated, it just comes crawling right back to you. Fear will drive you to find something that makes you think I can be safe. Fear erodes at our trust. All rationality sometimes is just thrown out the door when fear raises its head. And more than that, we we certainly know that something like heights may be serious for those of us who feel afflicted by it, but ultimately is not the greatest fear that we face. What happens if the test results come back positive? Or, Or how will I provide for my family in this situation? Why does this person constantly work against me so what about you where do you go when fear presses in where do you turn that's what psalm 27 is here for it's god's gracious word for us this morning to help us know where to go when who to turn to when fear threatens when fear threatens to overwhelm us so as we walk through this passage together, we're going to just look at three ways, the three ways that David shows that he and that we should find comfort and hope in the midst of fear. Now, this message is for everybody, the Bible's for everybody, but kids and families, I I chose this passage in part because next week when we start back in core training, we're going to be memorizing verses of the Bible every week. And encourage you, if kids really encourage you, work on memorizing these, these things. Store them in your heart because when you turn my age, they'll still be coming out of you just when you need them. God uses his word in that way. And parents, let me encourage you, memorize it along with the kids. If you don't have kids and you th- think, I really want to memorize some scripture. Talk to me or talk to Becca. We'd love to tell you, here's what we're memorizing this week as a church. But but this week, the first verse that you'll start on next week is Psalm 27, 1. So I just want to give you a head start, kids, to go ahead. You know what's coming. You can even look at that and memorize it today. And kids, there there are a few questions on the top of the note sheet. If you got one of those, you can be thinking about that throughout the sermon. Or parents, you can take that home and use that just in discussion with your kids this afternoon about this sermon text. Now Psalm 27 was written by David and there's no specific, it doesn't tell us exactly what was going on in David's life when this happened. We don't get exactly where David was, what was happening, but if you look in the text you'll find some kind of historical context that shows us at least some of the things going on in his life. So look at verses, if you have your your copy of God's word open, look in verses 2 through 3, and you'll see this cluster of words, evildoers, adversaries, foes, an army encamped against him. And then if you flip towards the back of the psalm, you'll see in verses 11 and 12, that same kind of cluster of words come again, enemies, adversaries, false witnesses rising against him. David here is reflecting upon some legitimate threat, something that is threatening his safety and security. And in those circumstances, when fear presses in, the Holy Spirit gives David and he gives us his word and his wisdom for finding hope and courage. And he begins here by reminding us what the first thing we see David doing and calling us to do is to trust in the Lord in verses 1 through 6, trust in the Lord. Here in these verses, David is expressing his trust. He's like speaking it out loud, but he's not just saying, here's what I'm doing. He's actually by speaking it out loud, like talking to himself, cultivating trust, building trust as he's going. And he does it in a few different ways. The first thing you'll see is that he's calling to mind God's character. He's looking at what he knows to be true about God. He's selling himself that again. And apparently this is something where our our church just needs to hear some of these things because for the past two weeks and this week, these are kind of standalone sermons. Uh, Kyle chose a text. Corey chose a text. I chose a text. We did not coordinate this. But in all three of these texts, there's been a theme, a kind of a a string that attaches all three of them. So John, uh, 1 John 1, 5 that Kyle read, God is light and in him is no darkness. Last week. Corey told us that John 8 talks about Jesus as the light of the world, and that we then are to be the light of the world in darkness. So we did not intend this, but look at verse 1, and you'll see the same truth come up. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? David, in the face of enemies arrayed against him, fixes his eyes. Instead of on the enemies, he turns to his gaze upon the Lord. He's meditating upon who his God is. He is his light, the Holy One of Israel, the guide to take him through the trial that he is in. He is the great deliverer, the salvation of his people. He is the stronghold. If David needs a place to go, he says, I know one who is a refuge where I find safety and security. And as, as David stares, not as the, at the enemies arrayed against him, but as he gazes upon and stares at the God who he worships, all of a sudden the question about who to fear becomes a no-brainer. God is an unassailable fortress, fortress, Who then should I fear? David's doctrine of God, what he knows to be true about God, that is the thing that leads him to trust and confidence in him. And as he calls to mind God's character, he moves on and reminds himself of how this character, the kind of the the truths he knows, says it's not just true and I kind of know it like I know a systematic theology textbook. I've actually seen this character In play. I've seen God be faithful in this way. That's what he does in verses two and three. He's remembering God's faithfulness. So the the general truth of verse one comes to life. Look at verses two and three. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Again, we, we don't know exactly when David wrote this, but David, in just thinking about his own life, can recall the way that God has done this for him. Right? David, young David, standing before the giant Goliath, the Philistine, stands no chance. Everybody around him says, it is foolishness. But at the end of the day, there is one who has fall on the ground, who has fallen on the ground before him, who has stumbled and fallen, as verse 2 says. It's David. It's, it's Goliath who lies beheaded on the battlefield. Verse 3. Think about the, the, the conflict with Saul and David. We'll actually, we're going into 1 Samuel next week, so this is a preview of coming attractions and weeks to come. But Saul, chasing David with all the host of Israel, encamped around David and a few men, this army against him, but on multiple occasions, it's not Saul and the army who gains victory. Saul is actually driven further into madness, into his own destruction, as David is held up and protected by the Lord around him. David has seen God's faithfulness in his own life, and this is what the full, the whole Bible is filled with these stories, friends. If you want to remember God's faithfulness, just flip through your scriptures. Just think through the Old Testament, even just the stuff in the first half of your Bible. Time would fail us to tell of the exodus, of the fall of Jericho, of Gideon, and his army of Hezekiah against the army of Sennacherib, and beyond that, many, many more. Whenever God's people cling to him, they find protection in the shadow of the Almighty. And as David calls to mind God's faithfulness, as he runs through what God has done, who he is like, his heart is driven to one place. It's driven to worship, to delight himself in worshiping God in his sanctuary. Listen to verses four through six. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life If He lives and dwells there, I want to be in His presence. Nowhere else is safe. Nowhere else can I go and find this shield, as we sang about just a few moments ago. There are these times when uh, I catch myself uh, just wanting to be around Laura. It's like my safe place in times. And even this Monday, we we had just we were supposed to. I was supposed to stay home with kids. Laura was coming up here to clean closets, and I was like, I'm just going to go up there just to be around you. Now, it turned out to be a terrible idea because I had to watch a three-year-old and a five-year-old and we ended up going home after 15 minutes, but that's just beside the point. I wanted to be where she was. Not because like I wanted to do the same thing, because I just delighted in her. And David says, "I God, I, I want to be where you are. I want to be in your temple, not just because he loves religious ritual, but because he knows that God has promised to dwell there in a particular way. He wants to gaze upon his beauty and enjoy his presence. These three elements, recalling God's character, remembering his faithfulness, delighting in his worship, those three things are like different instruments that are brought together in a symphony to help deepen our trust in the Lord. Uh, at the previous church that that I served at Laura and I served in a rotation that taught a group of 3-year-old kids and one of my uh little friends was a guy named Ben and Ben last year was brand new he and his family had just moved into Birmingham and so if your parents or if you've taught a class you know how those first few drop-offs often go Ben was a little sad that he was getting dropped off it was a little little tough for him and so that first time that we, we kept Ben and he was wondering when mom and dad were coming back, coming back, Laura or I would sit with him on the floor and say, hey Ben, does your mom and dad, do they love you? Yeah, yeah, mom and dad love me. Then buddy, they're, they're not going to put you in a place where you're not safe. And then we come back like four or five weeks later when we're keeping that class, our next kind of rotation. Ben was a little bit better, but still still a little weepy. Ben, what happened last week? Did did mom and dad come to pick you up at the end of class? Yeah, yeah, mom and dad came back. They they did what they said they would do. Good buddy. And the more we got to know Ben, we would keep asking just how his week was going, how things, uh, how what he did throughout, throughout the week, and we'd get reports of how he and his mom and dad and his, his brother and sister, they, they just went and had great fun together. They found ways to enjoy one another. And that, that time together with them, that was both building trust in his parents and it was also just kind of the outflow of trust that he had. It was this circular thing of I trust them and I want to be with them and the more I'm with them, the more I see that I can trust them. And friends, we are like that. <laughs> That's us. And when fear comes, we need these three things to hold onto, to grasp hold of. We need to ask ourselves, what is this God like that we say we worship? What is his character that we can hold fast to? And in that moment, I'll just encourage you, like some vague notions of like, I think God is kind of like this. That's really going to give way quickly. It's one of the reasons why we want you to memorize Psalm 27.1. Not so that you have vague notions of what you think God may be like, but so that you can know from his own mouth, his own word, who he is. I like how William Plummer here put it. It says, One of the best ways to dispel doubts and fears is to summon to our aid the very strongest doctrines and highest truths of religion. Weak doctrines will not be a match for powerful temptations. Friends, just even growing in our knowledge of who this God is, It's not just so that you have good things to say, so that you think right things. It's so that in your lowest moments, at your rock bottom, you have a firm foundation to stand on. And a God that you know can hold you fast. And when even if that's hard, if it's difficult to call that back to mind, remember his own faithfulness. Remember his actions towards his people. He has never let one of His words or one of His promises fall to the ground, not fulfilled. He has worked all things together for the good of His people. And for some of you, that means that you you look back and you remember answered prayers. You can look back and say, God provided a spouse, or He provided financially in this place when I didn't know we were going to make it. He restored a broken marriage. And even for some of us, when we have asked for things and God and his sovereignty has said no and not given us exactly what we want. We can tell you on the testimony of his character and of his own goodness in our own life that he has given us what we have needed. And he has upheld us with his presence. I talk to many of you who he has strengthened through tears. He is faithful. Faithful. And friends, God wants finally kind of the last piece of this puzzle, the symphony coming together. God wants to strengthen your trust in him, not just in your own private meditations of God's character and faithfulness. That's good. You should do that. I hope that you spend time in God's word, that you memorize scripture, but he desires to strengthen your faith through what's happening right now. What happens here week in and week out in worship among God's people. What we are doing every week. This is meant to be both kind of the, the end, the culmination of our trust in God. And it's also the engine that drives further trust. It's that circle that I told you about Ben happening. We come in here every week and, and we proclaim again. This week I had new challenges. I had new fears. There are things that came to me that I thought had been dealt with but that raised their ugly head again. And this week, God has been enough, and he has upheld me. And I'm going to turn and even tell you that in singing, and I hope that we tell, we even speak that in our conversation to one another, that we are just driving one another and finishing up our trust. We are giving praise, singing joyful songs to the Lord as the one who has held us fast. And then we are also driving that trust further. We are the engine that's driving one another to trust more in the Lord. Friends, even even pastors and elders, we need to be reminded of these truths. We need one another and you to remind us that God is faithful. Saints who have been walking with the Lord for decades sometimes need help lifting their eyes from the pain of their circumstances to the power of the provision of the God who holds them. The first thing that we're told here to do in our fear is trust, trust this God, recall his character, remember his faithfulness, rejoice in his presence. Now that, that is, that sounds good and it's easy to talk about, it's easy to encourage that kind of trust, but talk sometimes can be cheap and it's a different thing Many of you can attest to this. It's a different thing to live out trust in the trenches of life, which is why we see the second way that David addresses his fears by seeking the Lord in prayer in verses 7 through 12. As you heard John read this earlier, or if you read this throughout the week, you may see verse 7, There's it seems like there's this abrupt turn. David in verses 1 through 6, he's talking about the immense confidence he has in talking about God. And then in verse 7, he begins to talk to God. And, and we can wonder if his confidence doesn't sound more like just desperation. Listen, listen to verses 7 and 12, to his prayer again. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. And they breathe out violence. Have you ever heard a prayer that's made you kind of uncomfortable? A prayer that makes you think, is this guy still trusting? For friends that we have who may be in pain, they they may say, God is good in the midst of pain. And we say, yes, and we can affirm that confident affirmation of God's character. But that same person, in the same breath, may be crying out, God, don't leave me. I believe. Help my unbelief. And in our worst moments, we can wonder, Is he? how's he doing? Is he trusting? Is he confident here in the Lord? And this is one of the reasons why I love the Bible so much. Friends, God loves us too much to sugarcoat or paint over the painful realities of life. God doesn't bring us the Bible and say, we go from triumph to triumph all the way to glory. And that's what we've signed up for. No, friends, the the testimony of the Bible is often suffering and then glory. If you walk with the Lord long enough, you will find that you will walk through times of delighted praise and times of disheartened prayer. And it may happen in the same day and even in the same breath. And so here, David's prayer, instead of reading this as he's lost faith, he's, he's, he's doubting. No, David trusts the Lord enough to take everything to him. He knows in the midst of when fear is raising its ugly head, there is one place again to turn. This is not, this is a desperate act of trust, not of doubt. The enemies are back and David turns to the Lord, seeking God's face, which is what you see in verses 7 through 10 as he seeks God's face. The other morning I walked out, Laura had gone to work, I had to move a car so she could get out and I came back and Luke was standing on the front porch pretty forlornly and just said, I, I just wish mom was back already. He knows that mom loves him. and He knows that mom is coming back. But even just that brief parting, that little space between was enough to stir up desire. I'm not, I'm not there. She's not where I want her to be. And David, knowing that God is good and feeling again the fear, seeing the enemies at the doorstep, cries out, don't turn away from me. I want you back. I want you here. Don't. Don't go away. This psalm really over and over is kind of a push and a pull for what David knows to be true. We see over and over what David knows to be true. And then he takes that into prayer, asking God to be faithful to that reality. So look at verse 10. Verse 10, he knows, even if those who are closest to him, if his very parents should turn their back on him, the Lord will continue to be a gracious and welcoming host. And so he says, God, don't leave me. I know that you will not abandon me. Don't be faithful to that. And notice how David is really charting a path here for our own prayer life. What David is doing is he's taking what he knows to be true, the character and the promises of God, and he is turning those into his prayer. He knows God is his salvation, his deliverer. He knows God will take him in. And this wholehearted trust This confidence is what allows him to say, cast me not off, forsake me not. He knows God, has says, seek my face. And so he cries out, don't hide your face because I'm being faithful. Again, I I hope you see that first part of having strong doctrine, knowing what is true. Our doctrine, our trust in this God and the unshakable promises of God, that is the foundation for your prayers. If you are at the very low point and you don't know what to ask God to do, remember who He is. Remember what He has promised. Take those things and turn all of those into prayers. Oh Lord, You have told me that You are my stronghold. Lord, please hide me in the cleft of Your rock. Lord, You have told me that You are my salvation. God, deliver my soul even now. We take the promises that God has given us and we turn those back to him in prayer. And then we see what he does in verses 11 through 12. He turns from seeking God's face and he turns. He's now a pilgrim seeking God's path. He wants to know God's way. The way that walk, to walk that pleases and follows God even in the midst of fear. And he prays here. He says, uh, teach me and lead me on a level path. We can be tempted maybe to say level path. That's just like easier life. Make it easy for me. I think that this is more like a path that's walking with the Lord. A path that has him with us. Think about Matthew 7. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. The way of faithfulness, the way of walking with the Lord through the fear of enemies may not be the easy path. It may not be the one where all the enemies are obliterated and you just kind of stroll on. It may actually be hard and Jesus says as much. But better to be on this level path. On this narrow, hard way that leads to life with God beside you. than to be on the easy path. And not have his presence with you. And here in this prayer, to be on God's path, I think we should learn to David to find that security is found in the Lord and not in your circumstances. If you want to know where security is found, we can build it all around us. It's why we find peace sometimes in our 401k or a steady job or a relationship that brings comfort and peace we say as long as these things are going well that i have security i can trust then that things that god is with me and i am secure but we forget friends that circumstances can change in an instant the security that is found on them is shaky ground at very best and when something comes to threaten that kind of security we can we have to ask where then do we go where do we turn Brothers and sisters, God is showing us through this psalm that the Lord and the Lord only is where our security can be found. If you here are undergoing a trial, you may not know exactly why God is doing that. We're not told, why why am I walking through this thing? God doesn't necessarily give us specific answers, but, but it might be. Sometimes he uses these types of trials and his sovereignty to loosen our grip on the things where we found our security. On the things that we were holding fast to to say, this is where my hope has been founded. And God in his sovereign and maybe even hard providence brings things into your life so that you learn to let go of that. And So maybe here's the diagnostic question. If if you have these two paths laid before you, the, the, the easy way, the way that walks through life and is all, all suffering is short. But, but you say, God can give you that, but you won't have him. Or you have the way in which you are walking with the Lord and he is upholding you in the valley of the shadow of death itself. Which one of these do we want? We want this one. We want the one where the Lord is with us. As Paul says, to live is Christ." to die even is gain. Or maybe you know the old gospel song. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have, be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands than to be the king of a vast domain. Or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Friends, this life may not be easy, but God can use trials to cast us onto the shore of Christ, to loosen our grip on what we fear losing so that we can cling to the one who will never lose his grip on us. In our fear, we should seek the Lord and hold fast to him in prayer. And then as David finishes, he turns from his prayer again to a confident position of waiting for the Lord which is the third way we are to fight our fears to wait on the Lord Now at the end of some psalms you get like a nice bow wrapped up set on top of it and things are all nice and easy so if you if you have your bible look at the next psalm look at Psalm 28 Uh, I'm not going to read all of this, but if you look in verses one through five, you can tell this is the same kind of prayer. To you, O Lord, I call, be not deaf to me. Don't drag me off with the wicked, verse three. It's a, it's a desperate call for the Lord to intervene. And then look at verse six at what we see. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. God's heard and he's answered. Now look back at Psalm 27 at the end of our Psalm and see where David is standing here. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The bow is not wrapped. Mm -hmm. Everything is not finished. The enemies are still there. The answer that David maybe longs for, he, he doesn't have the resolution yet. But even so, even here at the very end, he turns and he speaks to those around him, and I think he's actually probably speaking to himself here. I believe. I believe in the goodness of this God. I will wait for him. Take heart. And I know that some of you are in that kind of place this morning. I know that some of you have pleaded with the Lord, not because you doubt He is good, but because you know He is good. And you know that He cares for you, and you have begged Him for weeks or months or perhaps even years to give you relief from the anxiety or the fear that you may feel. But the answer that you long for has not yet come. And that thing, that diagnosis or that anxiety, that fear-inducing enemy, is still there. Friend, brother or sister, take up these words as your own, and when you don't know what to pray, pray these. Not because this is just blind faith. This is not some baseless hope that we just kind of cast something out there and hope it sticks. But because all that we have already read from the beginning of the psalm to the end is true, we can found our hope upon the Lord, our salvation, and the stronghold of our life. And for you, brother and sister, even more than David, we have great reason to trust. To wait in eager expectation to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. David, saw had clear vision. He saw, true, uh, he saw true things about God. He knew what God had done for him. He can look back on the mighty acts that God has done in his own life. But we, brothers and sisters, share a higher vantage point than David. We can see, actually, what David longed to see. So if you have your Bibles, just flip quickly with me to Psalm 110. Psalm 110, verse 1. Psalm 110, verse 1, David, again, is talking about enemies. And he says there, the Lord, Yahweh, says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, he turns and he talks to this, this other person, one that David calls my Lord, and he promises and says, one day all of the enemies will lie defeated beneath the second Lord's feet, just like an ottoman for him to prop his feet upon. One day those will be totally defeated. And the question for a thousand years is, who is this Lord? Lord? Who is this my Lord that has enemies all conquered beneath him? And that's a question that one of David's descendants would actually ask a thousand years after this psalm was written. And in his life, and in his death, and in his resurrection, the one who asked this question, Jesus actually demonstrates that he is this Lord. That he is the one who stands in full and final victory over every enemy arrayed against God and against his people. And friends, this Jesus is the one who is still with and for his people. And so if you are weak and heavy laden, if you are stricken because of false witnesses rising up against you, you have a friend in Jesus. He has actually walked this road before us. He himself was beset with human frailty with human enemies, with those coming up against him, and he himself cried out in desperation and desperate trust even when he was forsaken by everyone around him. But more than that, this Jesus saw and still sees the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And as the risen king of life, he is our light and our salvation. He brings his salvation to us. He is our stronghold. And brothers and sisters who trust in Him, who cling to Him, even in the midst of fear, we can have that same promise that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the, limit, in the, land of the living. And if that's the promise that we can hold to, then we can take up the same question Who then shall I fear? Who then shall I fear? I'll close with what I think Paul, uh, he's not quoting this psalm, but he is taking the same ideas, the same truths, and pressing them into us. Listen to how Paul brings us out in Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Praise God, friends. Cast your anchor upon Christ. Trust in Him. Whom then shall we fear? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are our light and our, our salvation, the stronghold in whom we find refuge for our souls. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to trust in you. We pray this all in the name of our living Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.